Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is time for Guy Talk. And the power panel has assembled. Awfully glad to see smiling faces here in the studio. We've got Dr. Peter Kapsner, Tom Paris, Jeff Verdorn, and we've got time for your questions. Let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Got <clears throat> a little frog in my throat. Get things started. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Happy Bill. to be with you, Bill. Let's start off with a passage out of Acts chapter 14 and verse 8. In Lystra, there was a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. All right, you got the idea? Lame, never walked. Hmm. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. How do we understand this passage? We know everyone who has thought or been told, if you had more faith, you could be healed. And sometimes, as a matter of fact, your lack of healing is related to your lack of faith. There are to be sensitive topics. It really Who'd does. Who'd like to go first? It seems like Jeff does. I mean, this is a biblical question. We started, we started <laughs> talking about this a little bit before the show. And it's interesting because, you know, God promises a certain healing. And the greatest healing of all is the healing from sin and death. Every single person on this planet has the same sickness. That's called sin. And the wages of sin is death. And so I think the the biggest promise of God of all is that he will heal you from that greatest of de- disease of all and give you life, give you eternal life. But at the heart of this, your question at the heart of your question is whether or not God promises physical healing in this body, in this temporary body, this earth tent of our body that both Peter and Paul call this tent, this temporary dwelling. Does he promise healing? And I guess the the bottom line is, is this. If God promised guaranteed physical healing in this body, well, what's the natural kind of extreme consequence of that? And that is well, then if you had enough faith, you would never die. You would never die from any sickness or disease or whatever, and you'd live forever. Oh, wait a minute. I've heard that someplace before. That's called eternal life, but it doesn't come in this body. It's a guarantee. Our inheritance is a, is guaranteed in the, in the next life, in our glorified body. That's where we will live forever. So in James chapter 5 that we were talking about before the show, it says this. It says, that if you are sick, go to the elders, they will anoint you with oil. God can physically heal, and Mm -hmm. he can choose to physically heal anybody at any time. But I don't think that that is a guarantee of physical healing. In fact, if you look at the Greek word in James 5, that he will be healed, it's much more of this restoration Mm -hmm. that comes to your soul. And I love the line from uh, uh, Joni Erickson Tata said this, when she was seeking physical healing, For years and years and years, she said she finally got to the point where she was healed of her need 
to be physically healed. I think she was restored in a way that is what James 5 was talking Mm -hmm. about. When I was a kid in Sunday school, uh, we would look at these passages or we'd heard all the Bible stories. They were great stories. And uh, we were given Bibles. It was really nice. I mean, everybody got a Bible. And and I got chastised by one teacher because I was writing in my Bible. You shouldn't write in the Bible. It's a sacred book. And yet it was on this very topic when you talk about faith, because faith is not an abstract. It's not an entity unto itself. Faith biblically always has to have a target. It has to have a, a source, and that faith is Jesus. And so here in this passage, you know, he listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him and seen that he had faith. And we should put in our Bibles, in Jesus, in the message he was proclaiming, and be made well. Once we take Jesus out of the formula, and we start talking about, well, Jeff, you just need more faith. No, 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 no. You don't need more faith. You simply need to give more of yourself over to Jesus and trust him to do whatever is best and when we do that, then we have biblical faith that can move mountains. Hmm. Yeah, I think so well said, right? I was looking that up just a little bit, and, and apparently there are somewhere around 50 different events in the biblical text where people get healed. And, and if there is some sort of formula by which we could activate the healing that we desire, it would say in each of those 50 instances, right. this is the amount of faith, or you had faith, or because you had faith, or something along those lines— this is the only healing in the biblical text that talks about the idea uh, of an association with faith and healing. And so it clearly is not some formulaic expression where I just got to get to the point where I have enough faith and I'll, uh, I'll get healed. And I mean, I think we're, we're really sympathetic with people that are ill, right? I mean, we all have experienced loved ones that are ill and close. This is, this is a pastoral care question as much as it is a theological question in the sense that people are hurting and, and they really want relief from, from their hurting. But, uh, but to your point, Jeff, we all, from the moment we're born, we have a sickness unto death. And so when we die, is it just that moment where we didn't have quite enough faith? No, this is, we, we have to go through those waters of death to be raised imperishable. And so at some point, uh, the healing is not going to come. And in this particular passage, it sounds like what was actually going on was Paul was in the wild west of the Gentile world with a bunch of people that had never even really heard of Jesus, hadn't seen Jesus, and he was able to discern that this person was a person of faith of some kind, knowing that he would respond positively to Paul's invitation. So it was a demonstration of the power to prove that the kingdom was real, as opposed to some, you know, Jesus was not doing, or Paul is not doing a pastoral care moment here, as much as he was doing a proof of Jesus's power moment on behalf of the people that really needed to see something. And and that's, but that's hard. I, I guess one more piece, I was sitting with a young woman uh, and my daughter last week, uh, where my daughter goes to school right now, and this young woman who is 24 years old said something utterly profound about healing, and I, I took real careful note of it. She said, God will always heal. Sometimes it is through a physical intervention, but always with his presence. I mean, even, even if he doesn't heal the physical infirmity, the comfort that he brings as the healer will walk alongside of us in the midst of our sorrow and suffering. So even when we do walk through those waters of death, he's still there by our side doing that. You know, you mentioned this formula, and it's, it would be interesting. I, I need to do this study. Look at all those cases of healings. Sometimes people ask for healing. Sometimes people didn't ask for healing. Sometimes they were touched. Sometimes they weren't touched. Sometimes they just touched a piece of the clothing or the shadow would pass over them. Or sometimes Jesus needed to come to them to heal. Sometimes he didn't even have to go to them to heal. So there isn't one formula 
uh, that for healing in the Bible. So if you're if you're thinking that there's some formula or some certain amount of faith that you need in order to guarantee that God's going to heal you physically, I just I don't think that's in the Bible. That's not a guaranteed promise of God. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, isn't it the story of Naaman? I think the 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 Assyrian or Syrian. He's the one that had leprosy on his hand and put it in the in the folds of his garment and then pulled it out. Like if we're going to make formulas, you know, maybe that's one of the formulas. You just got to tuck your hand into your cloak and come out the other side. I mean, this is where we always have to be mindful that we live in a relational faith with an actual God, not a transactional faith where we do certain things to try to pull God's cosmic chain to get to move on our behalf. This is a trusting relationship that even if I'm not healed, I still will follow. And that, that's a really hard place to the be. The most unformularistic statement in the Bible about faith that you saved is the thief on the cross. You know, he didn't, didn't repent. I there's no repentance in the text. You know, he didn't cry out, you are the son of the living God. There was none of that. He simply said, Jesus, remember when you come into your kingdom. At that moment, he transferred all confidence in himself to Jesus and said, Jesus, do what you got to do. And what did Jesus say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. And I think we make the mistake of thinking faith is a quantity when faith is a person, mm. and that person's name is Jesus. Mm. Do you guys think that when Jesus is in the garden, that's a good model for maybe even understanding how to handle our our needs when we're in the middle of, of a need for healing? He does say, let this cup pass for me. Yeah. I mean, if you have a very horrendous diagnosis of some sort, stage three, stage four, whatever it is, and so many people are living with that right now. And, and, and in the midst of that, one of the hardest things to be able to do uh, is say both sides of that prayer. Of, of let this cup pass from me. I mean, cry out in the earnestness and the angst of what that is. God hears that. And on the other side of it, there is this this offer to say, but nevertheless, let your will be done. Wow. That I don't know where else you find peace in the midst of it. And, and if it, God has to be the God of the dark valley uh, and not just the God of the triumphant. And, and we find him in those places. And those are really hard places to find him. And I have a couple of groups that I lead that are have some older folks in them and it's funny you get older and suddenly all of your physical ailments tend to increase and there's always someone that has some physical need Mm -hmm. and those are often our prayers and uh, they're immediate aren't they when you have physical issues oftentimes there's there's not a lot else that you're thinking about other than relief from the pain or the 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 healing of something that's that's uh, wrong in your physical body and so I absolutely, you pray to God earnestly and ask them, take this cup from me. But remember, like you said, the flip side of that is not your will, not my will, but your will be mm-hmm. done. So Paul prayed three times to have this thorn of the flesh removed from him. And God, and, and I arguably, there isn't a guy who's walked the face of the earth that has had more faith than Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, but God chose not to heal him of whatever physical ailment that thorn was. Mm. But Paul learned this lesson, right? In his weakness, he now can see God's power at work in him. Mm. And, you know, one more piece, Jeff, as you're talking to, I'm just thinking in light of that, just how many people are carrying infirmities of some kind within the courage of of their silence? I mean, they just have to, they just bear the burden on their own and the courage and and to be a believing community in this kind of topic that can learn to bear each other's burdens in the midst of that. I mean, I just, I, I, I started to wonder how many people am I passing in the mall each day and how many of those people are carrying something uh, of physical sickness that they, they really are bearing up under it. Mm-hmm. But as a community of faith, can we bear each other's burdens in this way and continue to all together point to the God of comfort in the midst of all of these things? Because these are really hard things to walk in. And I, I bet more people than we know are walking down these paths right now. Great discussion, guys. Uh, if you are 
right now suffering yourself with an infirmity or an illness and you are crying out to God, the group here today, want we want to pray for you. Mm. So maybe you would uh, just text the word um, prayer to us at 877-933-2484. And we will uh, we will be praying for you anonymously because right now there could be many listening that are in that place in life right now where they're they're in a little bit of a of a panic because they're looking for a a divine and immediate healing and we just want to be praying for you today so uh, text the the word uh, what did I say heal prayer prayer, prayer. <laughs> all of the above what, either one will work what is my memory six seconds <laughs> right around there that's what my stopwatch said yes. we'll pray for that yeah we'll be praying for you yeah, thank you <laughs> well text the word why did you guys text the word prayer <laughs> but do it to my cell phone all right uh, text the word prayer at 877-933-2484 we'd love to pray for you we'll be right back with lots more guy talk mm. also send your questions 877-933-2484 be right back Talk. Fantastic power panel in place today. Dr. Peter Kapsner, Tom Paris, Jeff Redorn. And we are taking your questions. Let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. We've been talking about healing, and that is an always a, a interesting topic. Many of you are in need of it. And if you need prayer, uh, we will pray for you anonymously, but we will pray for you specifically. Uh, if you just text the word prayer to us, 877-933-2484, we want to do church today. We want to find out who needs uh, comfort from the Lord today, and we want to be asking God for that that comfort that you are looking for. So text the word prayer, 877-933-2484. Uh, that's a very interesting topic, gentlemen. I appreciate all the input that you've given, and... There's a lot of people that have already texted over saying prayer, 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 prayer. Yeah, I was just sharing that story during the break that I, I've been teaching a course over the next, over this past week or so, and and it really has struck me, and I think it's going to stick with me for a while and change how I view the world, I, I would suspect, just because after three full days, maybe 20, 22 hours with people in, in a small classroom environment and getting to know them, sharing stories, laughing a bit, learning together, puzzling over the scriptures, talking about theology, life in the church, just everything under the sun. And, and you go home and think that was wonderful and fabulous, and then you get up and do it the next day. And by day three, I don't know why the subject came up, but, uh, but uh, two of the students th- that whole time had been carrying pretty significant medical needs and issues, uh, both tumors in this case. I think both of them had been undiagnosed, but were in the process of getting diagnosed. And just, you know, that living in that dark night of the soul or that, that in-between space where you don't even know for sure what's going on is some of the hardest weight to have to carry while you, you know something is happening, you just don't know what. And, and I'm, it's changing my perspective in terms of 
the people that we meet in the day. And whether it's something along those lines or some sort of uh, mental health trauma or some sort of relational pain that we're in, I'm coming to suspect that most people in the world uh, are living those lives of quiet desperation that, that get talked about. And, and I think that can and should inform the way we carry ourselves as believers because we're, we're, we're meant to be animated by a hope. And, and not a false hope that we try to claim, but we're meant to grow strong from the inside out with a, from the inside out with this hope of glory that we that we carry within us, and and then people see that, and then I think that's why there's that biblical passage that says so. Just always be prepared to give an account for the hope that you that you really truly have and profess, because I think the world desperately needs it. One of the sad things with the American church is that we're so busy. I mean, we've got work, we've got kids, we've got family, we've got mm-hmm. church, we you know, have to drive through McDonald's to get supper. I mean, it's, there's so much <laughs> of that that goes on. The problem is we don't have the time for one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that the early church understood the time that needs to be put into one another, not necessarily that everybody was healed, but they were there for that person. And I know when I was overseas, like in Bangladesh and India, the Christians there would come together literally, I'm not kidding you, for days and pray over somebody. You know, and, and, and talk to that person and pray over them. And it was astounding to see that. And it was embarrassing for me as a pastor to come back and realize that probably the longest prayer meeting I've ever been in in my entire life was three hours. Mm-hmm. You know, but these people understand it wasn't simply the prayer to get the Lord to move. They didn't expect the Lord to move. They expected the Lord to move them. Mm-hmm. And part of it was how they loved one another. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of that Matthew 11 passage. It says, come to me all you who are weary, all mm. who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean, lean from, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Mm. And uh, if you have a physical ailment, give it to the Lord. Trust in him. Um, if you know Christ as your Savior, know that you have been healed of the greatest disease of all, and that's death. And you have this hope that you were just talking about, mm-hmm. and that hope is not in this world, but in the next. And uh, that is the hope of glory that we have. Yeah. I think I texted to you, Peter, perhaps this Corey Tenboom quote that said, look around and be distressed, look within and be depressed, look at Jesus and be at rest. Mm, yeah, you did that earlier today. That is a profound quote, and just right into what Jeff just read. I mean, yeah, that, we, that idea of taking our burdens where we can find rest, right? Yeah. Would and you, you think of it? It came from a woman who was put in a concentration camp mm. in World War II with her sister, lost her sister in this process, and, and a lot of her family. She lived through what people would say was literally hell. And yet for her to say that really puts a good reflection on how she saw herself, but really how she saw Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. My wingman Terry wrote and said, The thief on the cross may not be recorded in Scripture as vocally repenting, but didn't he do the next best thing? He admitted and admonished the other thief in front of Jesus, mm-hmm. stating that they were getting what they deserved, death. While Jesus was innocent, didn't the thief realize his depravity in front of the Holy Savior? Seems spot on to me right there. You know, I just, I, I, I always hesitate to, to turn any kind of relationship with God and, and, and interactions with God into some sort of magic formula. That right. If I just say the exact word or something like that, clearly this person was demonstrating a heart of humility and awareness of what was really going on in that situation. All right, here's a question, gentlemen. Uh, is there anything you can say about healing from generational patterns of sin? That's a tough one, mm-hmm. and there is a lot of that that goes on. You'd be surprised right here in the Twin Cities how many ministries exist silently, but we're, we're funneling people to them all the time, who are dealing with generational sins, generational curses, a whole variety of issues. 
And that's a whole different approach when you start dealing with that because that goes deep within the soul. It's not just mm-hmm. physical. It goes to the very bottom of who the person is. Most of them can't even identify what the generational issue is. They really don't know. And so uh, I know I have, but not that it's as much as others, but I've sat and prayed literally for a long time with people and others trying to get discernment as to what that might be. And I've seen it happen. I've seen the discernment come out, and I've seen over a period of time people literally freed from those generational curses, uh, but they're there, and they're real. And when the Bible talks about that, we have kind of overlooked that in Christianity in, in the 2022. Uh, it's very real. So, you know, whatever your, your grandfather or grandmother are going back, we have to take a sober judgment of that and really put that before the Lord and mm-hmm. say, Lord, you know, break that cycle. Don't let that cycle go on to my children. I think that cycle is uh, the key word that, um, you know, I, I know some good friends who are adult children of alcoholics, and these these patterns, these pains, uh, they are passed on from generation mm-hmm. to generation to generation. I don't know exactly how. I mean, we're talking about spiritual things here. I know our battle is a spiritual battle. Paul mm-hmm. declares that our battle is a spiritual battle. Yeah. He says the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. That's why he says he gives us his armor to protect us. And um, I, I, I've come to realize what's the best way to fight the spiritual battle? I can't see it. I don't completely understand it. We don't have a ton in Scripture about this battle that we're in. And so I just simply pray to the commander of the army of the host, and I let him worry about the details. Mm. And that's how I approach this spiritual battle. So um, I think that cycle is the key word that you said, that these things are passed on from generation to generation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, I, I love that. Um, just we, I, we don't know for sure what's going on with all of this, but I, I, I spent um, in this last week ran across somebody that they've done a, a healing from moral injury or spiritual injury kind of ministry for about eleven or twelve years. I've never even heard of such a thing to begin with, but as we begin to talk about it, it was what she said and what they were saying is that these invisible realities, these moral, spiritual injuries and trauma and sin and all of that, they actually can chart where it begins to show up in people's actual physical patterns and Mm -hmm. that they do get passed down. You can see things from the parents that also get passed down to the kids as they're starting to chart all this. It's, It's a relatively new field. It was an unfamiliar field to me. But, but in all of that, our battle is still in the spiritual realm. But I do appreciate how the Jews understood the interaction of the physical realm with the spiritual realm. They didn't keep them all separated. They said that they were working together in ways that I don't fully understand entirely. But I know something like depression, right, usually has a, a, a non-observable um, component. Yeah, exactly. And then, But then that changes even some of the chemistry. In our, and so even things like depression that we're dealing with, you have chemical imbalances, but the origin of them is some kind of invisible reality. And sometimes it's mini trauma, sometimes it's major trauma. I think it's important to note that while what we've just talked about um, in the spiritual realm from generation to generation, one thing that's not past is sin. It's it's not your parents' sin or your grandparents' right. sin or whatever that condemns you. No, 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 no. Sin right. is not passed. So yeah. right. just make that distinction. That's a good notation, yes. That's good. All right, we'll take a little break. When we come back, lots more time for your questions. Also, if you are in a place where you need prayer, we want to make sure that we're covering you with prayer. Text the word prayer to 877-933-2484. You can also give us a brief description of what it is you'd like us to pray for. We're not going to name any names on the air, but we are certainly going to uh, be praying collectively for all the requests that come in. That number again is 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. 
It is um, more guy talk or guys who talk. And the power panel today is Dr. Peter Kapsner, Tom Parrish, and Jeff Verdorn. Awfully glad to have these fine gentlemen around this studio table. And we are also just very sensitive today to people who are in a, almost a place of, of urgent need for prayer, for something physical, some healing, some comfort. Uh, and we just want you to know that we want to pray for you. So text the word prayer to us. We will do that. 877-933-2484. And that's also the same number you would text a question to, 877-933-2484. All right, here's a question I'm just going to throw out to you, uh, Peter or or Tom Parrish, uh, whoever wants to answer this one. Um, And now it's I've lost it. Okay. We like those. <laughs> yeah, they're easy to answer. Right? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, they are easy to answer. I'm always right. Was it about the commitment ceremony yep, question? I just found it. Here right. it is. Uh, uh, what is the biblical thought about Christians who will not have a legal marriage ceremony, but will have a commitment ceremony? Peter? Mm. Yeah, no, my understanding is, is exactly that, that you, you're gathered together. It can even look like a, a wedding ceremony of some sort, but basically what you're doing is you're agreeing to commit to one another in the relationship, but you're not um, interested in seeing state or legal recognition of mm-hmm. it at the civil level at that point. I don't know all of the reasons for that, uh, other than maybe you're wanting to avoid the messiness of divorce. And if you do, um, if you do split up, then you don't have to worry about who's getting what and going to court and all of that. I don't really know for sure. I think, and Tom, you've done so many weddings too. I think where it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable is that uh, that spoken vow that is really the heart of any kind of marriage ceremony is uh, is that place in which uh, something of the of the fabric of the relationship changes you're going from two independent people to a one flesh kind of relationship where the Bible talks about where God winds these two people together, don't try to rend that asunder. Mm-hmm. And I've done enough weddings, Tom, over the years. Like you almost, I mean, and maybe it's because I'm a sentimental sap and I get a little teary <laughs> up there or whatever, but but you almost sense that God is winding people together. During the, the power of these vows being spoken across to one another. It is such a sacred moment. So I'd very much hesitate to remove that component because this is in front of the eyes of God. This isn't about the strength of your commitment that holds you together. Right. It is that God holds you together as an honor of the vows from one another through the course of a lifetime. Yeah, it's a public uh, commitment. And here's the problem we have as Christians. Can a couple be married in the eyes of the Lord through the church without the state sanctioning it? Well, part of me says, yeah, it yeah. certainly can. But on the other hand, we're told to obey the authorities. And so we're stuck with that. We've got to, got to do the two. I'm much more concerned, you know, yep, with the license, we'll sign the license, take care of all of that. But I want to know, if you're if you're saying, I only want to be committed in the eyes of the Lord, we're going to have a long talk, because usually it's an escape mechanism. There's something I build in that I'm trying to have control mm-hmm. over this situation. With the state, you really don't have as much control anymore, because you're right, the legal aspect. But my attitude is this, if you're going to commit yourself to one another and to the Lord Jesus Christ, then his word also says, do it through the state because the state says yes to this. Mm. And that's how it works. It's a tough one. Um, I, I, I want to know really what's going on with that person. They've been burned. They've been hurt by the state. What's happened? Mm-hmm. I went, I'm glad you brought up this submitting to authority because my mind was going right to Romans 13 where it says to submit to the authorities that is over you. And uh, I think if you're not willing to submit to the authority and the laws. Look, a lot of those laws and marriage laws are there to protect the people in the marriage, right? Right. And society has valued it. They've put together a certain set of laws that protect that institution in a way. Now, some of those are under attack today, but 
Um, I think they're there for a reason. And if you if 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 there's a thought, this out clause that you're talking about, oh, we can get divorced and there's no consequences. Well, there's some protections there if you're one who is in this marriage that is uh, not getting your due, if you will, when that marriage ends, whether it was under the side of, uh, under, you know, united under the side of God versus under united under the side of the state. So I think I, I'm, I'm hesitant to uh, advise Christians just, oh, yeah, get married just in God's eyes and to ignore the civil authority because we live under the civil mm-hmm. authority. We do. Yeah, and I'm not sure that we want to join Alice in the rabbit hole of this question, but there is maybe a flip side that we could could puzzle over a little bit, and that's the idea of same-gender weddings. Are the, the, the real thrust of that movement in 2012, 13, 14 was that there would be a legal recognition of the marriage. And so in that particular situation, uh, I'm guessing we would share the conviction that marriage is uh, intended biblically and from a kingdom standpoint for one man and one woman. And so um, that I do sympathize with the view we need to pay attention to the state, right. but the, but because we, we took the religion part or the or the or the kingdom part out of the marriage equation and just talked about a civil ceremony or a legal recognition of marriage we're now talking about something different are two people in the same gender relationship that were recognized by the state actually functioning also in a kingdom marriage and so there is a separation maybe between those two conversations this is a big question but this is for people like Bonhoeffer and the confessing church impressed me so much they were able to discern the difference between walking under the state letting the state have it say properly and obeying that, and when the state overstepped its bounds into the Christian realm mm-hmm. and started to make Christianity say what it wanted it to say, I would stand up to that too and say no to the state, because we cannot let the state dictate our theology. Mm-hmm. Once we do that, it's over. And that's what Bonhoeffer said. Once they realized that, and unfortunately most of the German pastors, both Roman Catholic and Lutheran, capitulated Adolf Hitler, but there was a group that stood up, and they paid a huge price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think the main part of a marriage is that spiritual part, is that component where God is bringing you two together. But then I think it's fine to submit to the state and follow their rules as well. Agreed. Well, and just one more thought. Here's the problem we face in Christianity in America. We talk about a personal relationship in Jesus. I do that all the time. But we've turned it into a private relationship with Jesus to where we don't have to submit to anybody else. We don't really have to submit to other Christians or the church or the state or anybody around us. It's just me and Jesus. I don't find that in the scriptures. I don't find that you can just have a relationship with Jesus and be ignorant or uh, removed from all the other people. And so even in my theology and my preaching and teaching, I have a group of elders at the church I'm at right now. There are three elders. We meet every Tuesday. I submit to them the text I'm going to preach on. The, what I'm going to say in that text and where that text is going to go. And if they don't affirm that biblically, I don't preach it. Even if I'm convicted I'm right, I've still got to work within that and maybe eventually convince them over a couple of weeks. But the problem <laughs> line is we got to get away from this private stuff. We are a community, and in that community we function together. That's what letting your light shine is all about, right? Yeah. You go out in this world and let it shine. I think that's awesome, by the way, that you see the authority of your church in that way. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I believe it. That reminds me of the pressure of hosting a radio show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, there is there's a lot of um, responsibility to mm-hmm. to be the gatekeeper and to try to make sure that you are vetting all of your guests and making sure there's not going to be anybody that's going to say anything too crazy. And then if they do say something crazy, you got to make sure you hear them correctly and mm-hmm. respond accordingly. 
So. Very, there are a couple of very sobering scripture passages. You know, one is about it's a terrible thing in Hebrews to fall into the hands of the living God. Mm-hmm. I take that very seriously. But the other one is don't presume to be a teacher because you'll be judged more strictly. Right. And I take that seriously. And therefore, um, if I make an error, I want it more out of ignorance than it is out of my own ego. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. One of my mm-hmm. common prayers is to that passage that talks about being that workman, one approved, who correctly handles the word of truth. I, that's yeah. what I always want to do. We Me should too. all strive to do I that. I think about that, Jeff, every day I come in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, here's a question. How come God doesn't do the big miracles like he did in the Bible? Um, if we saw some of these big, big miracles, and maybe more people would believe in God. You know, I just had this conversation uh, last week about with somebody that says, why doesn't God make themselves more evident to the world? And I, I kind of have to respond, really? <laughs> if, you, if you're listening, he's screaming from heaven that he is here, right? He's, he's, it says all creation declares his glory, right? So you open your eyes and you look at creation and it's declaring God's glory, number one. Number two, he came to this earth in the form of a man, died on a cross and rose again. Nobody else has that resume that I know of, you know, risen from the dead. Um, and it was documented in his word. So his word declares himself to all mankind. I mean, the most popular book translated in more languages than any other book in all the world, best-selling book in all of history. Um, and if you talk to the saints, if you talk to believers, he is working in their lives constantly, and every single believer that you could talk to will have a story about a God has worked in their lives. Mm-hmm. I, I love miracles. I've seen miracles. I know they're real. I've seen them all around the world. However, at the same time, I've got to say this. We need to be careful because seeing a miracle doesn't produce necessarily faith, doesn't produce a change in the heart. And I remember one Bible teacher told me a long time ago, I was pretty hip on this, and he says, Tom, you need to remember that if you are standing there with a group of people and you see a tremendous miracle take place, within five minutes, one or two of them will be saying, do it again, Lord, just Mm -hmm. a little bit slower. And I think that's human nature because once we get removed from the miracle itself— if we don't have the connection with Jesus, we don't have anything to base that on. And so it's it's here for the moment, and then it's gone. Mm, that's such a good point, Parrish. You're right. You see one miracle, and you think that would do it, right? Sure. But then two, three, four, five, six, I just, I, we have Palm Sunday coming up in a couple of weeks, and these people had seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and Hosanna in the highest, they begin to cry, and five days later, they're shouting, crucify him. And, and I, I sympathize with that very much so in terms of how fickle we are. Uh, with our belief. But to your point, miracles are still happening around the world. I mean, you've seen plenty. I know plenty of people that have seen some unusual uh, intercession of God in in the events and the natural events of this world. They clearly still happen, but uh, you you can't... um, The heart of faith is that you decide to trust even if you don't see, right? It It is to lean into God um, even in the midst of any kind of doubt or confusion, uh, it's not the strength of your intellectual conviction or the amount of proof that you have. It's always an act of trust in the midst of those things. If you follow the flow of the Gospels, he started out doing much more miracles, and those kind of tapered off, and it went to his teaching yeah. about who he was and what he's going to do. And he finally says, I'm, I'm going to give you one more miracle, and that is the the this this sign of Jonah. I'm going to be three days and three nights, and just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge mm. fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was going to rise again. That's the one more miracle I'm going to do for you, mm-hmm. and that's what you are to believe. But if, you don't, if you're not a believer today and, and you're listening to this, ask God for a miracle. He will show up. Seek the Lord, and you will find him. Hmm. 
I love that. All right. Uh, how come God let us eat animals after the flood? And what's your favorite kind of barbecue sauce? <laughs> <laughs> the second part of the question was yeah, me. That, that was definitely <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet honey. Sweet honey barbecue. I love sweet honey. Yeah. Oh, I'm all about the spicy barbecue sauce. It's got to have some pretty significant zing in it for me to to appreciate it. All right. You you can talk less now, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Tom Parrish, what's your favorite? Uh, I love uh, pork on the grill, you know, uh, ribs. Yeah. And... I like, uh, we have a special sauce, I think it's called Piggy or something. It's got the name Piggy in is it, it. Is it sweet or zingy? It's Well, this one's sweet. My son uh, likes the one that's really hot, but I, I take the, the more sweeter one. You're more zingy, mm-hmm. huh, Peter? So, yeah, he's just brown-nosing you right now, Bill, for I totally time. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So but anyway, why did God let us eat animals after the flood? Because <clears throat> it's good. That's a, that's, <laughs> they're, they're very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're stuck. That's a, that's, we are stuck in this it's, one, it's maybe. An empty, how, how shall I say it? It's a great question. I appreciate it. But we don't have any real theological basis to come up with a big answer on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't want to make the mistake, like I mentioned on Sunday, about the, the millionaire who wanted to give his mom the best gift in the world for her birthday. So he bought her a parrot that could speak in 4,000 languages. I mean, this parrot could do anything. It could sing. It was amazing. So he sent it to her on her birthday. The next day, he called her and goes, Mom, what did you think of the parrot? And she said, it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take that. <laughs> I don't, I, we'll I, take I, it. I, oh, really ahead, quick, I agree with Tom. I don't know the, if we really have an answer of why. We know it happened, and uh, we know that the first kind of uh, animal killing was to clothe Adam and Eve sure. because of sin, and it was a, a symbol of the sacrifice which have, would eventually come through Christ. So, um, you know, I don't know if we really know the why, but it did happen after the flood is when f- the first animals were eaten. So mm-hmm. We'll take a short break with Guy Talk, and when we come back, several will still be here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't guarantee who, but <laughs> we'll be back. Let me know what your questions are, 877-933-2484. Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk. So glad that we are together talking about what we're talking about. What are we talking about? I think we left off on barbecue sauce. (laughs) 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 You did escort me towards the door because I liked spicy. I did, yes. Yes, yes. indeed. Uh, Got some really nice messages that have come in. It's a miracle that God is working in millions of lives all at once. I mean, we see God's handiwork every day all Mm -hmm. around us. Mm -hmm. And of course, the point is well taken that if uh, God did one gigantic miracle, they would say, what else you got? Of course. Mm-hmm. That's very true. All right. Uh, here's a comment. After the flood, they could no longer get the protein they needed from the plant life. The mineral content of the earth had changed. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, it's I, not possible or not possible. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it's a possible explanation for sure. Mm-hmm. So there are so many prayer requests that have come in. And I I am so amazed First of all, thank you for writing us because we do want to be thoughtfully uh, praying for you. And I will do this individually after the show as well. But I also uh, just want to be uh, letting you know that we hear what you've sent us and we are um, deeply caring for you right now. Mm. 
And I don't want to race this to the end. So maybe we can take a minute right now and we can pray for all these prayer requests. And, you know, one or two of us, and then that would be great. Tom Ferris, would you lead? Yep. Lord Jesus, you are the great physician. You are the savior of our soul. There are so many of us right here in this studio that have gone through lots of trauma and continue to need your touch in your hand. Our listeners are facing those, Lord, in ways that are overwhelming at times, whether it is uh, generational problems, whether it's demonic, whether it is abuse, whatever it may be. Lord, stretch out your hand, touch each and every heart, let them know that you're with them, and Lord, restore them as you see fit, because you have created them for your purpose, and Lord, give them peace as only you can give Jesus. Father, we do pray for each one of these folks that has texted into the show. There's so much brokenness and pain in this world. We live in a broken and fallen world, and, and Christians are not immune to the effects of it. But I pray that for those that know you, Lord, that you will be their strength and their shield, mm-hmm. that they would bring their requests to you. You tell us uh, and admonish us to not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition to bring all of our requests to you. And then you say that your peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, help these people just give their pains and their burdens and their brokenness to you. And then we ask for your peace to guard their hearts and minds. Yeah, and God, bring your comfort just uh, in, in real tangible ways that people can feel and sense that you are near, that you are as much the God of the shadows as you are the God of um, the peaks in our lives and, and that you in in very unusual and near ways will walk with us in the midst of our infirmities and um, be that high priest. We know you sympathize with our weaknesses. You've walked through it all yourself. And, and so bring that uh, sense of comfort close and nearby as our next breath. We take all these prayers really into the throne room and lay mm-hmm. them at the foot of the cross. And we pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to race that right at the end. Agreed. I wanted to make sure we took Agreed. time to do that. Yeah. Uh, just wondering about the folks that live between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament really still sacrificing, and it seems as if the Pharisees condemned for doing things wrong. Were there any Jews that were doing, uh, that during those times were doing things right that God required? I tend to kind of want to give a little bit of grace to them for trying to follow the law as God had required. Hmm. Oh, I'm sure there were. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely, there were people that were doing it as best they could with what information they had down to the Lord. And here's the problem with with Pharisaic worship. It's the same problem we face in Christian worship today. When we get caught up in the trappings, we get caught up in the style, we get caught up in the atmosphere, and we forget why we're there to really worship. And I think it's easy to do the sacrifices in Israel and go to the temple and sacrifice the lamb and all of that and forget that you're really there to worship the one true God. You're really there to let him transform your mind and to change you to be like him. And as a result, it's not simply sacrificing the animal and the shed blood. It is that literally this is this represents our blood and then the blood of the, the Lord covering over it to make us whole. So I encourage people, you know, make sure whether you're worshiping, whether in between the Testaments, uh, yeah, they're faithful people. Keep the focus in the right place. And for Christians, that's on the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, the Pharisees get an understandable bad rap by the time of Jesus, right? I mean, they, they really were these people that were seeking all kinds of religious power and authority and, and neglecting everything else. But if you look back at their origin and their history, they their whole Pharisaical class rose because they wanted to avoid any further Babylonian kinds exactly. of exile. And so they thought, we really want to obey the law of God because we didn't pay attention to the prophets. And so they wanted to obey it in all of its forms. But where they went wonky with it is they went ahead and, and made some 612 different kinds of interpretations of the law itself and then commanded that everybody live rigidly and rigorously through them. And God is always the God of relationship right. expressed through our actions and interactions like that. But but they made the law itself some kind of formula with God. Yeah, I think it's important to note that salvation um, has always been by faith. Uh, from the very beginning to today, it's always been by faith. Now, God has revealed himself differently in those times. So in the Old Testament to the Jews, he gave them the law. We got to remember, though, Paul declares very clearly that the law made nothing righteous. No one was made righteous by observing the law. And no one could obey it perfectly, by the way. The only one who ever did, who followed the law perfectly his whole life, was Jesus himself, who was the perfect sacrifice, who died on the cross for the sins of all the rest of us. So if you were a Jew and you were following the law, in the end, it's always a heart thing. If you believed in them, remember, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that was before the law. He didn't have the law. Then he gave the Jews to the law. They're still, if you have faith in God, I think you are saved. The thief on the cross that you were talking about earlier, he had that simple faith. Same with the anybody living in the intertestament period. And now today, the same faith saves. Now, what God has revealed to us today is the death burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Right. Mm. So, Can you imagine, uh, Paul, that just like the eureka moment he was having in his relationship with the law, where for so long they thought they had to keep the law to win God's favor, and then in this majestic book of Romans, he begins to say, hang on a minute. This whole thing was some big schoolmaster to teach us about the fact that we fall short of the law, thus we need to surrender in grace into the hands of God to begin to redeem and restore us. I mean, what a eureka moment for somebody who had studied so differently his entire life. It must have just been fantastic. Lyle Scheller, the late theologian, made a very good point. He said the tragedy of America is when he started building churches out of stone. He said they used to build them out of wood, and about every 25 years they get a lightning strike or something <laughs> would happen, and the church would burn down. And so the, this, this generation that just had it burned down, they had to say, well, should we rebuild it? You know, well, what would the Lord have us do? And, he, and I think the Pharisees, the same problem. Those that came out of Babylon mm-hmm. came out with good motives. Yeah. They wanted to obey the Lord and honor him. But by the third, fourth, and fifth generation, they kind of lost the whole zeal of the whole thing. And so the law became their God. Let's follow the law. And they want to impose that on others. And they miss the one true God. And we can do that in the church. And that's the danger. And we have to fight that all the time. Every generation has to be renewed to Jesus. Mm. Love that. My 22-year-old son is thankfully praying and seeking and asking God to reveal himself to him. So I feel like God has already revealed himself in so many ways. Uh, I will continue to pray that his eyes are opened and that he sees him. Are there any other suggestions? I would, uh, if if this person will contact you, Bill, and you get it to me, I will send them what I call the 21-day challenge, which is the Gospel of John, where you read one chapter per day, and you can do it at the privacy of your own home. You don't have to go to a Bible study, and you have one question, and you have one challenge each day. I have used that with more atheists, non-believers than I can tell you who have come to faith by about chapter 12 Mm. because the Holy Spirit gets into them. What this young man needs is not only to ask the Lord, and I think it's admirable by all means, but he's given us his revealed word. 
And in John, you're going to see Jesus for all that he is, and you'll meet the real Jesus right there. Mm-hmm. So I'd be glad to send that free of charge. Well, send uh, it to me. I want to see it. I'll send it to you, Bill. <laughs> why, you know, why would you not send it to me? Well, I, What's I'm wrong with happy you, Tom Paris? You're a believer. <laughs> I know, but I, I'm... Paris, he's turning on all of us. Barbecue <laughs> sauce. He's mad about your text life. Oh, yeah. yeah. I will make sure you I'm get I'm cranky it, today, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. No, but do, I want to see that. I will make sure you get it. Yeah. All right. We're... Totally agree, by the way. God's Word has power. Mm-hmm. It does. Indeed. Yeah, and again, we we don't have a lot of time left. We only have a minute left. Fast hour, right? Mm-hmm. For sure, it does. And, special hour today. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of questions have come in. But really, what we want to focus on once again is just the number of people that have asked for prayer, and they've been many have just texted the word prayer, and we are going to be praying for you by your, your phone number, or if there's a name attached to it, we'll pray for you by name, not on the air, but off the air. And we also are aware of some of the prayer requests that came in that had very significant messages attached to it. And as I read these to myself, I my heart just burst. Mm. There is so much difficulty and, and hardship. And as a community of believers, though, we are here together and we're loving on you and mm. we love you. And we're so glad that you reached out to us today. It just yeah. means the world. And, and, you know, Bill, the, the Bible ends with this incredibly hopeful promise. And it is a promise and it is very real. And for those of us that really want to have our tears wiped away in this life, and we really do, it's an impulse that's right and we want to see it. But here's what we know for sure. In that beautiful kingdom of unfolding light, that is our actual home. In that, pl- in that place when Jesus returns and he will return, there will no longer be a curse and every tear yep. will be wiped from the eye. We live in a time of hopeful sadness. There is a sadness, but there is a real hope that it can abide that one day all of these tears, whether in this life or the life to come, will be wiped away. Mm-hmm. So good. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Always great to be with you. A lot of fun, Bill. So yeah, thanks, fun. Bill. That wraps up Guy Talk. Guess what's coming up next? Dr. Marcus Bachman's going to be in studio. He's going to talk about why so many Christians can also be dysfunctional. I mean this in a good way. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.